Thank you, everybody. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I am Jeanette Panera. I'm the executive director for the Defy Ventures Tri-State Chapter. Um, I'm here. I'm just going to briefly introduce Defy and our history um, and what we're doing here with our programs. So Defy Ventures, we're a national nonprofit organization, and we work with both currently and formerly incarcerated individuals. Um, we actually started about 11 years ago in the New York City area, and we really started with a focus on working with folks who um, were already coming back home to the community. And we were trying to find a solution to the fact that they were coming home and they were dealing with the challenge of um, really being able to find employment basically mainly because of the fact that they, there was a stereotype and there was a bias associated with hiring people who were formerly incarcerated. Um, and so our idea and our thought was that entrepreneurship may be a great solution uh, to help those folks come home and um, build some economic opportunity for themselves. Uh, we learned a lot over the past 10 years of running our program. And uh, one of those things was that we wanted to begin earlier. Um, and so we wanted to bridge the gap between um, being incarcerated uh, as well as um, coming home. And so we started our in-prison program. And our in-prison program uh, focuses on the entrepreneurship training, but it also focuses on reentry planning, on professional development, and personal development as well. So we start there, um, again, just to bridge the gap, uh, bridge the gap, sorry, and uh, build some trust and start with some skill training uh, while people are still incarcerated. Uh, and then once they get home, we then enroll them in our post-release program. And our post-release program also focuses on two different pathways. So we first and foremost, we want to make sure that people are um, able to successfully re-enter back into their communities and back into society. And so we spend the first six months just focusing on employment needs, um, on housing needs, connecting them with other nonprofits in the area that can support them. Uh, we have a partnership with Google, and so we provide Google Chromebooks and tech training to them. We do financial literacy, um, public speaking, soft skills, connect them with mentors in the in, uh, in HR that can help with their resumes, mock interviews. So that is the first six months of somebody's return back to the community. Um, and then after that, the sort of the second thing that we learned was that entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And what we want to do is make sure that we're providing options. So if people want to go down that entrepreneurship journey, they feel committed to it, they feel ready for it, especially um, in the place they are in their lives, then we have a full uh, business accelerator program for them in an entrepreneurship pathway. And that business accelerator program really focuses um, on making sure that they can launch and scale their business if that's what they want to do. We have a partnership with LegalZoom, uh, and we provide business grants, um, as well as an opportunity for um, for investment, uh, for uh, seed funding from us. Um, and most importantly, uh, those folks are connected with a mentor that they work one-on-one -on -one with uh, to help build out their business. So that's sort of our, our program in, in a nutshell. I'll just talk a little bit about the impact that it has had. Um, 
mainly on uh, recidivism rates. So the national recidivism rate um, for one year is 30 percent. And after three years, it's about 50 percent. So what that means is that about 30 percent of people coming home after one year go back to prison. Uh, for our program, it's less than 10 percent after one year and less than 15 percent after after three years. Um, and nationally, we've served over 6,000, uh, we call them EITs, entrepreneurs in training. Um, those are our participants. And uh, one of the biggest uh, and most important aspects of our program, I'll say, is that we're really here to build community and build a network of support. And we do that by utilizing uh, the business community and volunteers in our network. So we've worked with over 6,000 volunteers nationally as well that come in and, again, just provide that support and that network for those individuals who are coming home. So if it's somebody who's coming home and who's in the career reentry pathway, again, they're acting as uh, resume coaches and, and mock interview coaches and life coaches. Um, if they're in the entrepreneurship pathway, they are acting as business mentors, consultants. They are attending our coaching events. Um, and then the other thing that we've been focusing on over the past year or so is this idea of fair chance hiring. Again, because we want to offer opportunities to folks that are coming home, um, whether that's entrepreneurship or going down that career path. And again, why we started was because you, you know, a lot of folks were coming home and they were not able to get employment because there was that stigma and bias associated with having a, a criminal record. So what we want to do is partner with with other companies and have this conversation. You know, why do you have this stigma? Why do you not want to hire people who are coming home who are formerly incarcerated? And let's talk about the reasons why you might want to consider them and just, you know, have them start to shift their thinking and shift their mindset in, in that way. Um, and then the last thing that I'll just add here is that one of our goals also for the next year or two is to really expand our in-prison programming. We really consider that to be the foundation of uh, our programming. It's called CEO of Your New Life. And over the past year or so, um, our in-person uh, aspect of our in-prison program has been paused just due to COVID. Um, as you can imagine, the situation uh, in facilities has been worse than it is out here in the communities. And so uh, we haven't been able to actually really get inside. But that is going to be changing over the next few months. So throughout 2022, we are really looking to expand our reach and um and really develop relationships with at least up to five prison facilities. Currently, we're in two, um, up to five prison facilities um, within the next year in the tri-state area um, alone. So I'll stop there and uh, happy to answer any questions. I'll put my information in the chat as well. Um, thank you. Jeanette, you can hear me. Uh, you want to inter introduce your uh, your fellow yeah. panelists? Yeah. So, um, can can you all hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. So I will introduce Jeremy Coleman, uh, who is the CEO of uh, the Children's Village. Thank you, Jeanette. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, the Children's Village, I'm, I'm going to follow Jeanette's script here. Uh, the Children's Village was founded uh, in downtown New York City in Manhattan in 1851. Um, today we are located across 17 sites and three countries. 
uh, we uh, work with three populations, uh, young people who are incarcerated uh, in youth jails or touched by the juvenile justice system, children who languish in foster care, meaning they've typically been in foster care for 10 years or more, and immigrant minors who have been separated and detained. And across all three groups, we have one purpose, to get them out of government and charity and institutional care back to family. And we define family very broadly. One person that cares for that child unconditionally. That's it. And that's, that's our definition of family. Uh, we work with about 16,000 children uh, and families every year, about uh, 300, uh, 3,000 a day. Um, Jeanette mentioned recidivism in our uh, work getting kids out of, uh, out of the juvenile justice system. We actually run the largest youth, uh, the reform youth jail for New York State, serving Westchester County and all upstate counties. Uh, our recidivism rate prior to COVID was under 10%, about 8 And our recidivism rate for uh, we, we have this problem of crossing over where children who grew up in institutional care also end up in the juvenile justice system. And with that particular group in Westchester County, our recidivism year to year for the last eight years has been under 2%, meaning we get them out and keep them out. And our, our, our goal is always to get them to someone who loves them unconditionally and get them into public school. Um, here are some statistics for those of you who may not know uh, of the problem with uh, youth uh, incarceration. On any given day in the United States, we have about 45,000 children uh, and youth under age 18 who are incarcerated in juvenile jails and some in prison across the United States. Many of them, we believe, or well over 50% of them, are there because of a status offense, which is a non-criminal act that is considered a violation only because of the youth's status as a minor. So it's a non-criminal act, but because they're under 18, uh, they, they end up in the system. And some of these are truancy, running away from home, uh, violating a curfew, underage use of alcohol, and uh, this broad term of being incorrigible. And that can get you in the system too. Of all incarcerated people in the United States, young people under age 18 who are held in adult detention centers and prisons are most likely to be victims of sexual abuse. Um, we also have disproportionate penetration into the system. Black children penetrate the system at uh, a rate of four times faster than a typical white child. Um, and many of them end up in what we call secure detention, the highest level of juvenile detention. In some states, that penetration for black children is over ten times, and that includes uh, the last uh, set of numbers we saw from 2018. That includes our neighboring state of New Jersey. Uh, once you come into the system, young people under age 18 are also often uh, mentored and networked 
into the criminal system. So it's not unusual that a young person that comes in for the first time into a poorly managed detention center will be introduced to a network that then, then takes him or her into criminality and with girls into human trafficking. Let me stop there. Yes. Uh, Jeanette and Jeremy, if you want to carry on or, or uh, before we ask questions? Um, or can I? Or can I? Uh, sure, I could make a couple uh, couple points. Uh, one is to come back to this issue of crossover populations. So um, the data is pretty clear. We've got about 25 years of data now um, through federal systems and uh, syst- uh, a data system where we are uh, states are feeding um, into the federal system, crossing over from um, from foster care into juvenile justice is prevalent and it often happens because kids lose hope. So children that languish in the foster care system uh, that are not adopted, that are not returned to family, um, that are promised family but never sent home, often go out looking for love and looking for a connection and often get caught in this wide net of cross, uh, that then crosses them over into juvenile justice. And if intervention doesn't happen timely, those children then penetrate into the adult criminal justice system. In some states, well over 20% of foster care children are seen in the adult criminal justice system. Um, for many of our families in the urban uh, neighborhoods, deep segregation drives um, a lot of police surveillance, and that then adds to the number of kids that come into the system. Uh, we Right now, uh, during COVID, there's been an anomaly, uh, and things have kind of reversed and gone bad to worse. But prior to COVID, it was fairly typical to see a lot of our uh, children coming, coming into the system from our poorest uh, performing schools. There's this direct connection between segregation and poor performing public schools. There's also a similar connection in our rural neighborhoods where we operate upstate New York between isolated rural rural neighborhoods and the availability of good schools. So again, the schools are also adding to the problem by calling in reports that then get kids into the system. Um, For many of our poor families, uh, government and charity, even a charity like Children's Village, is burdensome. To you and me, uh, government is often a tool that we know how to use, and we use it well to meet our needs. When it comes to poor families in the United States, and especially families of color, and certainly rural white families that don't have power, government uh, intervention, even when it's done with the best of intent, is burdensome, and often, in about 20% of our uh, numbers, uh, simple uh, conversations escalate because of the demands placed on the family, and then kids end up in the system. 
Um, and then, of course, the last point, uh, you can talk about uh, justice and juvenile justice and incarceration and what's needed without talking about social injustice, which is at the root of the overrepresentation in our system. So if I could ask a question. Jeanette uh, talked about the impact of their program, the reduction of recidivism rates for the one year and the three year from I think it was 30, 50 down to 10 and 15 percent. Uh, well, maybe two, two well, questions to you, Jeanette, but back, but first, Jeremy, could you just talk about maybe what the results are from your program, uh, whatever the KPIs that you have, and then you know, Jen, I'll come back to you after that. So well, we track two numbers. One is, do young people have someone that they can return home to? Because in the absence of a home, and one of the greatest uh, strengths to recidivism prevention is having something that you don't want to lose. And for our young people, as it is for all of us, the things you don't want to lose are the people that love you and love you unconditionally. Um, in, in our work, well over 86% of our young people find a family. Uh, we believe that you're never too old, so sometimes we don't always get you that family by age 18, uh, you, but you'll probably get a family by age 22. Sometimes those uh, families are, lead to real legal adoptions, and at other times, uh, they are simply moral commitments where someone steps up and it could be a mentor, it could be a friend, it could be a rabbi, it could be a pastor, it could be an imam who says, you will always have a family. This Thanksgiving, you will not eat at a shelter, you will not sleep at a shelter, you will not be in an institution, you will be in our home. And, and it's pretty amazing what that does. So uh, that number is well over 86% and it has been that way for the last decade. Um, when it comes to returning to the system uh, with children who have been suspended from school or arrested for a status offense, we see recidivism within the 30 to 50% range. In our programs, in our, in our work, it's under 10%. Uh, again, COVID is an anomaly. But just prior to COVID, uh, we were under 10% at 8%. And in Westchester County, uh, where we do a lot of our human trafficking work and also manage uh, a youth jail, it's under 2%. Uh, and it has been that way for the last seven years, year to year, 2% and under. So... so just want to make a, a place marker. Rob Horowitz in our family office, a core family office, is focused on two, his foundation, on criminal justice and foster care. So you should connect with, uh, with Rob, also a fellow University of Michigan. We, we love Rob and Kathy. They're dear friends, and uh, they have truly been leaders in this work. Uh, they are some of the best and most thoughtful, and by the way, they live the life. You know, they... They have fostered and created unconditional belonging for young people that had no one else. Uh, there's some uh, thanks for lifting them up at this uh, at this meeting. They're amazing people. Question, uh, Jeanette. Hearing what Jeremy does, how does that fit into your paradigm 
their program and their, and how how could we we're always looking for interconnected synergies. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, you know, Jeremy and I, when we talked prior to this panel, we uh, you know introduced ourselves and certainly realized that um, there was some some overlap. We primarily uh, serve individuals that are 18 and older. Uh, we do have a youth program um, that we actually piloted here with the uh, mayor's office a few years ago. Um, however. Even in that youth program, we are serving individuals aged 18 to 25, um, and we haven't necessarily uh, started one of those youth programs here um, in in New York City. So I think, you know, the overlap here is um, being able to talk to Jeremy about potential um, partnership there to combine some of our curriculum and, and you know, what we're trying to accomplish Um with with youth as well. Um, I think some of the stuff that we found when we were running the the youth program uh, is that entrepreneurship was uh, an idea that really resonated with a, a lot of youth um, and that they had some great ideas. And uh, similar to what Peter said, right, they're younger and more uh, open to the idea of risk and, and taking that risk. Um, and I think you know, also similar to what Jeremy was pointing out is, and what I had mentioned is that the big focus here for us, yes, we utilize entrepreneurship, yes, we're focusing on employment, but what we want to do here is build a community and a network um, of individuals that can support those folks. Um, and so whether it's for youth or for adults, having that support system around you is really eventually what will lead to your So we're going to transition to human trafficking, which uh, is everyone could mute themselves, whether you're on Zoom or somehow sneakily on Zoom here. Any other room as well? Just stay on, stay on mute, please. So uh, what I wanted to say, Jeanette and Jeremy, is that what we're hoping to do is this, this, these events to catalyze a proper deep dive on issues. You know, it could be a summit, it could be two hours, four hours. To go deep into this and get all the right people together, bring Rob Horowitz, uh, who's been speaking on this, and then we do breakout interviews Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.